0: Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty.
1: I'd like to welcome listeners to this PTJ podcast. I'm Alan Jetty. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of the Physical Therapy Journal. And today I'm delighted to introduce and have a chance to talk with Dr. Suzanne O'Brien. She's a physical therapist who is assistant professor of physical therapy in the Department of Health and Human Services at Nazareth College in Rochester, New York. Welcome, Sue.
0: Thank you so much, Alan.
1: What we're going to talk about today is a study that she and her colleague recently published in PTJ entitled Inpatient Rehabilitation Outcomes in Patients with Stroke Aged 85 Years, or older. I'll start by doing a quick summary of her study, and then we'll talk about several aspects of the work. Dr. O'Brien and her colleagues set out to do this study in order to better describe both the functional and the discharge outcomes after inpatient rehabilitation in adults who had a stroke who were aged 85 years or older. The rationale was, first of all, stroke is one of the leading causes of disability. The cohort of adults 85 years of age and older is growing, and this age group is at considerable risk for disability. And previous work has shown that inpatient rehabilitation follows very closely to the post-acute stroke rehabilitation guidelines and has achieved very desirable outcomes compared to those for patients who have gone to skilled nursing facilities. And so they conducted this study using the data provided by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid using the Inpatient Rehabilitation Facility Patient Assessment Instrument, or irf and they focused on data that spanned the years of January 2002 through June of 2007, was the first five and a half years after implementation of the prospective payment system. And their, their study included over 70,000 cases. So it's a, not only a very large study, but the sample is drawn from all 50 states, as well as the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico. So it has a high degree of generalizability. The authors used various multivariate techniques in order to look at uh, outcomes both of community discharge as well as function following inpatient rehabilitation following a stroke. In terms of the major findings, what I'll focus on are two. The first is that approximately 54% of this national sample were discharged back into the community following their inpatient rehabilitation. And they also reported that over the five-and-a-half-year period, the mean discharge function scores, as measured by the FIM instrument, decreased on average by 3.6 points. And so the authors concluded that in this very elderly sample, who were admitted to inpatient rehabilitation following a stroke, they made functional gains, and most, To the community. Mm -hmm. Sue, is that a reasonable summary of your work?
0: Yes, Alan, it was very thorough. I appreciate your description.
1: Well, let me start with my first question, and this has to do with your outcome of return to the community. You reported that 54% of this quite elderly cohort were able to return to the community. Do you know how this compares to? rate of community discharge for those, say, 65 to 84, the younger, older age group, if you will?
0: Yes. I have an idea. I don't have a perfect answer. But this study is a subsample of a larger study that we published in PTJ a couple years ago with a much larger sample size. That sample was 65 and over. And in that sample, By 2007, about 61% of the people who received inpatient rehab in an IRF were able to discharge to the community. So that includes this subsample that we reported on in this smaller study.
1: But it would suggest, as I had suspected, that the rate of return to the community does decrease as people are in the older age cohorts.
0: Yes, but there could be some reasons for that. There were some differences, especially in length of stay, with this older subgroup, and I'm hoping we can talk a little bit about length of stay during this podcast.
1: Good. Well, you observed that uh, those patients who had a higher admission FIM score had reduced odds of returning to the community, if if I read your tables correctly. Mm -hmm. Yes. That struck me as quite counterintuitive. Any thoughts about that?
0: You know, it was counterintuitive to us as well. And, you know, especially when you read this literature and you know this literature, it's very consistent in saying that people with higher admission FIM scores often lead to higher discharge FIM scores, which then often leads to more community discharges. So our finding was counterintuitive. I think there's two reasons for what we found and reported. First off, the Sample 85 and over did have a shorter length of stay than the 65 and over group, by about one to two days in the rehab facilities. And when you talk about care delivery in a rehab facility, there are certain things that are firm, like the three hours of therapy a day. So the dose is the same, no matter how old you are, everybody's receiving three hours of physical, occupational, and speech therapy together. So it comes down to how many days. The dose comes down to how many days you're spending in the facility. So even though this older sample had higher admission FIM scores, there's no advantage if the dose on top of that initial function isn't enough to get them to the higher discharge FIM scores, which might get them to more community discharges. So I think the typical um, advantage with higher admission FIM scores was just maybe, I don't want to use the word but, because it's painful for me, but maybe wasted because the dose wasn't long enough to lead them to a community discharge. The other reason that could have led to this finding was our sample. And the larger study, we wanted to be as descriptive as we possibly could and describe everybody and anybody who was receiving inpatient rehab for stroke. And so we did not do what other authors had done, which was cut the length of stay to a more typical length of stay, let's say three weeks to four weeks. So we kept in everybody who had atypical length of stays, like up to 90 days. So having such a wide variety of this factor in the sample could have led to that counterintuitive finding.
1: That makes sense. And um, it's something, if you had sufficient sample, you could look at that by analyzing it without the longer-stay people to see if that finding held up. Right. It is interesting when I looked at the other predictors, being female, having complications, right brain, stroke, those were findings that made more sense to me than the one that we've just talked about. I was struck that age group did not predict community disposition, nor did the number of comorbidities. Did that surprise you and your colleague?
0: You know, I have to answer this as a clinician because I am a rehab therapist. I do have my NCS, and when I practice as a therapist, I practice in inpatient rehab facilities, often with people with stroke. So my clinical answer is that it didn't surprise me too much and that age did not predict because we know from lots of other literature out there about exercise in these super elderly that if you give people exercise with any kind of morbidity, comorbidity, they will improve in their function and achieve their outcomes. So the other issue with this super elderly population, I think, is that there is that cultural aspect of bringing your elders home no matter what to avoid placement in long-term care. Though we did not have a variable that we could control for to determine this for sure, clinically, I think that's probably what's happening, that people are bringing their elders home as soon as they can get to the point of them managing the care that's necessary. Because we, we do know that in this sample especially, at the time of discharge, most of these elders did need a caregiver.
1: And you know, the, the lack of an age group finding is it's actually encouraging
0: when i you think, think so
1: about too. you know the potential ageism of clinicians thinking that because someone is in the older age group they they can't return home so i was very pleased to see that myself
0: yes as was, as was i
1: your other point about the caregiving is it, it's uh, it is unfortunate that the data didn't have variables that allowed you to really Explore that, although you did have a little hint, which I thought was quite interesting Mm -hmm. in your finding that non-whites were more likely than whites to be discharged. You talked a little bit about that in your discussion. you care to comment on that finding?
0: So what we found was that people of non-white race or ethnicity had greater odds of going home versus whites. And, you know, I think just knowledge of culture, that a non-white family is going to do everything they possibly can to bring home their elder because that's just what's done. So it was very clear that there was that race-ethnic difference in our data. So again, caregiving is needed when we're sending people home with remaining disability and these families make it happen. I wish we did have that in our study and certainly should be confirmed with any future study.
1: Well, it would be a a very interesting angle that others could take to further our understanding of this finding.
0: Yes. And in fact, I think the same thing goes for women. We found that women versus men had a lower odds of achieving a community discharge. And again, when we sort of look at things from an aging perspective that more women are widowed and living alone and may not have the caregiver available to them, I think that in the future, if a clinical team is looking at this paper, you know, they should look at white women especially as a group that they maybe want to extend a length of stay for so that she could ensure getting back to a community setting instead of being placed in long-term care.
1: Yes, it's a particularly high-risk group.
0: Mm-hmm, yes. Yes.
1: And I don't think that's widely understood in the field.
0: I don't think that people are acting upon it as best as they can. Um, I would like to see clinical teams act on thresholds on the FIM that are known and published much more deliberately than I think is happening on a regular basis today.
1: Speaking of thresholds, let me shift our focus to some of your functional findings. You made reference to previous work that estimated the minimal clinical improvement in a FIM would be around 22 points. And you noted in your study that the average FIM change score was less than that um, MCID, which might suggest, at least in my reading, that the uh, rehab care did not uh, yield meaningful functional improvements. Would you agree with that, or am I misreading that finding?
0: I agree and I disagree. You would be correct to say that the amount of care received by these elders did not reach a minimum clinically important difference, which, again, for the listener is the amount of change needed so that there would be an awareness that care would have to change, that there would have to be an alteration in the process of care to move the person forward further. So, You are correct. The elders did not reach that meaningful change of 22 points on the FIM. And I think this is a problem. And I think the problem is related to lengths of stay being too short, especially in this group who has comorbidities, which makes improving a little bit harder. And so I would like teams to set a goal of exceeding 22 points on the FIM before discharge happens. I think that would give the elder a lot more chance of getting home. However, it really depends on where they start, right? 22 points on a very severe stroke might not be enough to get them to the threshold of a safe community discharge. So another paper by uh, Reistetter set a threshold of 78 out of 126 points on the FIM, which I think teams should also seriously consider with their discharge plans uh, for any of their admissions, old or young, with stroke.
1: Yeah, I think you make a very good point, both clinically and for future researches. The other finding that really struck me, Sue, was you report a trend of less improvement in function, again, as measured by the FIM, as well as a decreasing proportion of patients discharged into the community when you looked at the data from 2002 to uh, 2007. Yes. That is worrisome, and I wondered if, if you have seen any literature that suggests whether or not this trend has continued since 2007.
0: I don't know of any literature that has continued the trend beyond 2007. I would hope that the trend has eased because at this point, If you're going to be admitting a patient with stroke with so many impairments and you're only going to be giving them about two weeks of care, anything less than that begs the question as to why you're even admitting them because you're just not giving them enough dose in my mind.
1: And under prospective payment, people have more freedom to do that, I would think, at least in theory.
0: Yes, in theory, although some of the related literature dealing with prospective payment and its effects on reimbursement really has said that the only way facilities can survive is by decreasing lengths of stay. I just would like them to use the FIM, which is the standard functional tool, to better identify patients who could stay a bit longer.
1: And I think your study really raises serious questions about whether or not we're providing adequate care to this group when they do go into inpatient rehab.
0: Right. You know, the reason for inpatient rehab isn't to send somebody to a nursing home. It's to get them to a community-based discharge, hopefully back to their own home. And if we can't fulfill that goal, I think as of 2007, one could wonder whether On the average now, nationwide, uh, whether facilities were able to provide this goal to their patients. I'm sure some do a better job than others. That was beyond the scope of my study, but it's something to really think about.
1: You wrote a fairly positive conclusion to your study that the 85 and older population who suffer a stroke and are admitted to an inpatient rehabilitation facility do improve functionally, and most are able to return to the community. One could alternatively conclude from your findings that, on average, this group did not make clinically meaningful improvements in function, and close to half were in fact discharged to an institution. Would you care to comment on that alternative interpretation?
0: So I think one of the main things that we need to take from this study is that it does reflect what the American Heart Association guidelines have said, that the best place for people post-stroke for rehab is in an inpatient rehab facility because it has the comprehensive care and the most time in therapy to work on the impairments associated with stroke. Without enough time in these facilities, I think patients of any age, but especially the very elderly, really won't reap the benefits of what's given to them when they're a patient. And until we know that, see that's one of the gaps in literature, we don't really know how far people can get in an inpatient rehab facility. Nobody's ever kept people in a facility and measured how far they can get within 30 days or 40 days. You know, if we talk about, skilled nursing facilities, you know, people, Medicare beneficiaries can stay there up to 100 days, but they can't get the minutes of therapy and they don't have a comprehensive program. So when put head to head, IRFs have consistently had stronger outcomes for people post-stroke than skilled nursing facilities. I think it comes down to dose. I think our lengths of stay are too short and our elders would benefit from longer lengths of stay. And I hope that clinical teams out there listening to this podcast would consider that going forward as they admit more people with stroke to their facilities.
1: I think you make a really good point. Your study shows what is being achieved with the current dose of inpatient rehabilitation therapy Mm -hmm. following a stroke in this age group. It doesn't comment on what could be achieved from a greater dose in this particular age group.
0: That's exactly
1: I, right. I, I think that's an extremely important future study that needs to be done. And I think exactly. your work has laid laid the groundwork for it. Thank you. First of all, for the study, and secondly, for publishing it in the uh, physical therapy Journal, uh, I've enjoyed our conversation very much. And I think you've raised a lot of interesting issues and questions that can be pursued by other researchers. So yes. thank you, Dr. O'Brien.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Jetty. I so appreciated this opportunity.